To all my moms moving on, I have something amazing for you. If you're ready to move on from your engagement ring, the experts at Worthy can help you turn it into cash, fast and risk-free. Worthy does all the work and their competitive auctions get you the best deal possible. Over 45,000 people have already moved on with Worthy. Are you ready to move on too? Visit worthy.com slash moms to get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash moms for a special bonus offer just for the Moms Moving On community. This week on Moms Moving On. If the parents do separate, but they can restabilize because divorce is, you know, an unstable situation. It really disrupts the, the child's routine and what they know to be, you know, just regular life. But if the parents and kind of find that equilibrium again, find their footing and just develop a basic neutral co-parenting relationship, the kids really will be fine. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another episode of Moms Moving On. I'm your host, Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, and I'm here with a good friend today who's going to help answer probably every mom's most burning question. Is it really better to stay together for the kids when you get divorced or when you're considering divorce? We have Dr. Melissa Tegas with us today. She is a forensic psychologist who provides clinical evaluations for the courts and private law offices. Dr. Tegas offers regular consultation as an expert witness in the areas of child abuse and neglect, custody disputes, estrangement and parental alienation, risk assessments, and sentence mitigation. She's also a skilled psychotherapist, guardian ad litem, and parent coordinator with extensive experience working with high-conflict litigants and on high-profile cases. So who better to talk about this topic with than you, Doc? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited. So like I... I know you in real life and like, you're like a fun, young, like cool person to hang out with, but you have the experience of like 45 lifetimes. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. I have had a storied past with my career and my path to psychology. I want to hear about your path to psychology because I'm really, I think it's really fascinating all of the work that you do and how passionately you do it for the children who need it. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, so I grew up in Texas. I, uh, my parents are divorced. Um, I have, you know, three brothers, but I started out my path to psychology through social work. So my first job out of college was working for child protective services. And so that's where I got the experience in forensic interviewing children about allegations and just making the determination of like what constitutes abuse. And if there was to, you know, protect those children, keep them safe. But it was a very uh, reactive position. It's not proactive at all. Like you're coming in after reports have been made and things have happened. So it's a difficult job. It's a very thankless job, but it was unsettling because I just didn't feel that I was really helping anybody to, to do anything. Right. So I then became a teacher, a special education teacher. Um, and that was a better schedule and not as unsafe, obviously. But still, it is a very reactive... You are educating children and you are you know, you're helping them with things that go on in their personal lives, but you're still their teacher. And mm -hmm. so you're not able to like assist them if you see them struggling 
in that kind of way. And a lot of the kids that I taught over the years, of course, you know, have families with conflict and separation and divorce and all of that. So then uh, through my teaching career, I went to school, you know, I I was uh, a graduate of Albizu in Miami, and they had a very flexible schedule for working adults at the time. And so I was able to continue teaching as a public school teacher while I went to school for uh, psychology and I got my doctorate degree and my internship was in a men's prison. And in fact, the Florida state prison system, I've worked in a lot of different camps, you know, giving therapy to individuals with mental health issues there. Also parents and dads uh, that I worked with in the prison system and then uh, did my postdoc at Palm Beach County Youth Services Department, providing the family therapies that I provide right now. Um, so what so haven't now, you done? I just want to know, like, we could we could start with what haven't you done? Now I'm doing uh, a lot of what we're talking about today. Right now I'm running a, a program that supervises and trains doctoral level psychology trainees to provide free therapy to litigants and families that are referred uh, by the family court. So these uh, therapies that we're providing now are uh, similar to what you do, Michelle, which is, you know, co-parenting, counseling, coaching. Um, of course, it's all therapeutic because we are mental health professionals, but we do individual counseling for the kids. And we do reunification when there has been, you know, an issue in the relationship between the parents and the children, maybe alienation or some issue happened uh, to estrange the relationship. We get in there and we work with the family therapeutically to try to reunify them. I, so, I think there's such important work. I, I can't even tell you. I sure. mean, had I had that option as a child, things would have been very different for me. So obviously I love the work that you do and and we know it's so needed, but you can also really speak to the question of, is it really better to stay together for the kids? Number one reason women do stay, women with children, is because they don't want to traumatize their children or make their lives harder. They will wait until their kids are in college and then they'll go figure out something that makes them happy, but it just perpetuates the cycle of feeling stuck. And so I get that question all the time. And my non-psychological, non-clinical answer is, your child needs a happy mom, not a married mom. But I want to unpack that like from the psychological standpoint. Absolutely. I get this question a lot. And I do think it is the most common, commonly asked question and common fear that parents have, both parents, you know, is if we do this, are the kids going to be okay? Mm -hmm. So it's a complicated answer, obviously. Uh, The short answer is, is that you should, if there's not abuse or extreme conflict in the relationship, you should try to stay together for the kids only because what we do know about children is that they flourish and grow and thrive in an environment of stability when they have healthy, positive relationships with both of their parents and consistent contact with both of their parents. However, also a part of what promotes healthy outcomes for kids is if in that intact family, the parents also love each other. Because what we don't realize is or maybe we do. We're we are modeling everything for our children, like mm-hmm. everything. I know a lot of people think that they don't get a lot of those examples straight out of the family of origin because there's other influences in our lives. But children largely get a lot of how to communicate, resolve problems, uh, be in a relationship with an intimate partner from our parents, you know, from from watching our moms and dads. So if we are modeling for them a loveless marriage, let's say there's not a lot of conflict, there's not abuse, but it's just a loveless marriage, then what are we 
modeling for them that, you know, this is how they're supposed to engage in relationships as adults. So the short answer is yes. If, if, if there's not a lot of conflict, if there's not abuse happening and you guys can go to a mental health professional couples counseling and try to work through some of the issues. Um, if it doesn't mean that you need to separate and, you know, disrupt the stability of the lives of the children, then great. But if you're modeling for them, some of those unhealthy relationship dynamics, it is better to separate and divorce. And I'm not saying this from a, uh, not just from a, a, per, a professional perspective, but also from a personal perspective. And, you know, from talking to my other clients who have gone through divorce as children, they were grateful at some point that they didn't have to witness and be exposed to all that conflict that was right. just persisting in the household right. before their parents separated. A lot of times, and in the research I've done, it shows that divorce can actually be a relief for children who are sitting around. I remember so vividly, and I blocked out a lot from my childhood, being six or seven years old, sitting at the top of my staircase. I lived in a two-story house, like, you know, with my my chin on my hands and listening to the fighting downstairs, like yes. brutal and like wanting to run downstairs and intervene. And, you know, my mom telling me the next morning that it was a dream. I had a dream. It was not a dream. And then I remember when when I was told that they'd be getting divorced, I, I thought to myself, okay, I don't have to hear them fight. And that can be such a relief for so many people. But like you said, they're there aren't always situations where people are fighting and it's just a matter of two unhappy people. And I, I can't tell you, you know, when, when I meet other adults and I tell them what I do for a living, they're like, man, you know, my parents stayed together until we were adults. And I just kind of wish they would have split up when we were young because they were miserable. I hear that all the time. Yes. And the access is different. I, I was listening to some of your previous episodes this morning and I understand that Yes, our access to divorces is much greater than it ever used to be before. You know, parents did stay together a long time back then because it was much harder to to go through this process uh, back then. There also wasn't all of this support and resources and information out there mm-hmm. available to parents like there is now. You know, I, I think uh, it, it's happening a lot more, prev- you know, it's more prevalent now. And the kids, you just they're relieved because they don't have to witness all of this stuff, but also we want to teach them, you know, even if there's not conflict that mommy and daddy don't ask each other about their day at the end of the day, we, you know, they don't ever hug or hold hands like never, you know, so that's how they're going to be in their adult relationships, their future relationships. Absolutely. So, I mean, the long and short of it is that there's no real easy answer, right? Like staying might, cause stress for your children, leaving will cause stress for your children. So what's, you know, how do we handle both? So here's what the research shows, which is really comforting. In fact, like if the parents do separate, but they can restabilize because divorce is, you know, an unstable situation, it really Mm -hmm. disrupts the, the child's routine and what they know to be, you know, just regular life. Um, but if the parents, can kind of find that equilibrium again, find their footing and just develop a basic neutral co-parenting relationship, the kids really will be fine. It's not the divorce in and of itself that actually hurts kids. Kids are so resilient and they can get through a lot. But if this conflict is allowed to persist for years and years and we can never get it back on track, then yeah, your your kids will have psychological damage from that. Um, So that's the hope is that if there's one, you know, 
and and I know that not not all times is it both parents that are participating in this co-parenting relationship and trying to gain that equilibrium again. One of them is sometimes undermining that and sabotaging that the whole time. But still also research shows that if there's one stable, caring adult in the lives of these children and one parent that's making that effort and at least attempting that, you know, and showing and modeling that, then the kids are going to be okay. Okay. That's the end of the episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. <laughs> that's this is all what I've been to know. saying for years. I, you know, that, that one stable caregiver really does matter in the long run. And, and I'll, you know, I work sometimes in my practice with the one stable person and, and they tell me how exhausting it is. And I'm, and I'm like, exactly. You need to, you need to exhaust yourself being the one stable person. It's, it seems so counterproductive that the more difficult your ex becomes or unreasonable, your co-parent is the more reasonable and stable you have to be, but it is the only way. Yes. And I tell people that I work with, you know, um, if there, if there's going to be a crazy one, like let them be the crazy one, I guess, you know, not you, don't you be the crazy one. Um, you know, somebody has got to hold it together. And if something is said or done, that's, uh, hurtful, hurtful to the children, you know, if there is that one stable caring adult, they can kind of buffer the children from the effects of that, even 100%. if there is, un, you know, uh, unhealthy things going on at the time, just that one loving adult. Yep. Children need a lighthouse. They need to know like where their safe port in the storm is. You know, if things get crazy with one parent, they know that there's one that's going to have their back and soothe them and let them emotionally just fall apart if they need to. And that's, that's just so true. Okay. So you choose to get divorced because you realize leaving might actually be better for the kids. What are the initial, initial, like short-term psychological implications on the children? So for the children, obviously they're distressed, even in abuse, this is crazy, but even in abusive households, of course, like children still love their parents and want what they look around at all of the other examples and see an intact family. They want that for themselves. I've had children who tell me even in the most like unfortunate circumstances that they still wish that their parents were together, you know? So they're going through these this shattering of their family system. And it feels like it can't be put back together, you know? And so they are having a lot of academic disruption. One of the things that we first see is sleep disruption and grade decline, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, So if, if they're in school and they're trying to focus on their work, but they, you know, were up all night listening to mom and dad argue and, you know, everybody was in a short temper this morning when they're getting off to school, they're very distracted when they're in school um, they, they have disrupted relationships with their friends. Um, for example, a lot of times what I see with parental alienation, you know, when one parent is trying to influence the relationship that the child has with the other parent, that is not the only relationship that suffers when those types of dynamics are happening. The, the kids peer relationships at school suffer as well. Oh, wow. Interesting. I never heard that. In what sense? In the sense that if they're being taught that someone is all good and the other person is all bad and they can't be, they cannot be taught to see the shades of gray in a person oh, that we are all, interesting. you know, a constellation of good and bad, then when their friends and their peer relationships disappoint them, they sometimes have the same reaction to that, which is to cut it off and sever it and distance yourself from it because that's what's being promoted and modeled <laughs> for them by that parent. Yeah, 
sounds oh. relatable from my own childhood. Wow. Yeah. Never, never heard it that way. So short term, yes, there's going to be some disruption, but you mentioned something earlier, kids are resilient. And I love that statement, but I also hate it because I don't like when people just assume the kids will be fine because they're resilient. Right. Obviously yeah. we have to teach them to be resilient. So what do we teach them in this time? How do we help them through this disruption that is temporarily difficult for them? Uh, the best way to do it is to, uh, obviously I do believe in being honest with the children, but what's developmentally appropriate for them to know and to understand about the situation. So I do want them to come and talk to their parents and you should be open to talking to your kids about their feelings. Um, of course, one of the main things is to allow them to have feelings. Like Mm -hmm. I think parents sometimes think, you know, well, I mean, they're kids. We're the adults. We, we decide for them what, what's supposed to be, you know, what's healthiest for them, but there's, they're not inanimate, inanimate objects in the room. They, they have feelings and thoughts and opinions about the divorce and they do play blame, like place blame on people as well. So, you know, allowing them to have that feeling and allowing them to come and talk to you about it. But if they are coming to you and, and you're seeing that there's like a need for them to please you in some way, you know, to, to show loyalty to you, you may not realize that you're pulling for that from your child and putting them in that loyalty bind is really, really difficult and causes a lot of problems for them. So if they are coming to you to have the most appropriate responses, like for example, if something is said, that's very negative about you, you not reacting strongly to that and being like, well, you know, that's, that's my ex's opinion. That's your father or your mother's opinion. And I don't agree with it. They're entitled to it. And honey, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily healthy that, that people are talking to you about, you know, bad things about your mom or your dad. Mm -hmm. So, so having appropriate responses, just kind of being open to that communication and also helping them to redirect and organize what's happening around them in a healthy way, putting it to rest in a healthy way. That's one of the the best tips that I learned early on was, um, you know, Bill Eddy's four big skills, the skills for critical thinking and teaching my daughter that, you know, daddy likes sour candies and mommy only likes chocolate and like, doesn't mean one's bad and one's good. And we're going to have different opinions and that's okay. And when she was a little bit younger, it was always very like, mommy, I love you. You're the best. You're my favorite. And I would say to her and daddy too, right? Because I never wanted her to feel like I was sitting there, like in the glory of that feeling, even though I was, because let's be honest. I mean, in the beginning, you kind of want to hear that, but, and, and now it's, we kind of get the the favorite at in the beginning. We we went through a lot of sacrifice to to bring them into the world. So, right. And yeah. but I think you know my showing my child that it's okay to like sometimes just mm-hmm. want her dad. That's that creates a safe space, and that's something yes. that moms can do that doesn't really take a lot of effort at all. It's just by allowing your children, you know, one of those important things on the children's bill of rights is giving them the space and the freedom to love their other parent. And if the other parent's not doing that, we sure as shit need to do that. Yes. And if they're upset with you, if they, you know, even though they love you, if they see that, well, you made a decision with my other parent to separate and that hurt me and they're upset with you about it, being able to talk to them about that in a healthy way, you know, in a way that doesn't disparage the other parent or yourself mm-hmm. and just try to explain to them, you know, that this decision was made out of love for them and all of that. But I just think sometimes parents don't allow their kids to have feelings about the divorce because mm-hmm. they're so, I guess, feeling 
upset that they are feeling that way in general, you know, and, well, they, and, and they recognize they don't know how role. to handle that level of discomfort, right? Like mm-hmm. it's very hard to say to your child, I was wrong. I mean, it's one of the, I think the most important things you can say to your child is I'm sorry, my actions hurt you. That was wrong. Um, not the divorce per se, but anything that your child is upset with you about. And that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Like if, for example, if they express complaint about the time-sharing schedule, it doesn't mean that they don't love you or the other parent and don't want to see you or the other parent. They just literally don't enjoy being schlepped back and forth between two households. Okay. And that's like a normal thing. Even if you live three miles from your ex, uh, the kids don't necessarily want to be schlepped back and forth between the two households. And if they have a complaint about that, or they bring it up to you, and you're feeling defensive about the fact that you had a role in that for them, you know, that they even have to have a time-sharing schedule, uh, being able to withstand their comments and their concerns and just talk to them about it and be like, you know what, it, I, I do understand that does suck. And you're allowed to feel upset about that. You know, we can't change that because that's what we have to do so that you can see both your parents. But I do understand where you're coming from. So yeah. just being validating like that. Absolutely. They're calling it the Bible for all divorcing moms. I can't believe it, but that's what they've said about my book, Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and come out on the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, and my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. It's available in paperback, hardcover, audiobook, and Kindle. So go get my book. I promise you won't regret it. Class is in session and it is time for you to master your divorce. I am Michelle Dempsey-Maltak, the creator of Moving On School, and I want to welcome you to Moving On 101, the one and only class you'll need in order to master the concepts of getting divorced and co-parenting your children so that you can truly move on. In this eight-week program, we'll meet week by week to help you move past each phase and first of the divorce and co-parenting process so that you can move on in an empowered way while making the best decisions for your children. Visit www.momsmovingon.com to apply for our next semester of Moving On School coming in January. Okay. So long-term, you know, your, your children, you teach them to be resilient. They adapt. They're amazing. Now you are co-parenting in two homes and your kids are happy. Long-term, what are the effects of this? I believe that if a divorce can be healthy or at least gain that equilibrium, I I think there's some normal allowance for some disruption and some dysfunction after the divorce. But Mm -hmm. after we regain that equilibrium and we have two parents that are you know, just working together and showing the kids that they're working together. Long-term, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. In fact, I think I see a lot of benefits from my parents divorcing uh, that I probably wouldn't have been able to enjoy if they had never divorced. One of the things that I always reflect on is that my dad and I were able to form our own relationship outside of my mom 
you know, cause she's just a big force in the house. You know, even when I would call home, uh, sometimes after, you know, being out or whatever, if I wanted to speak to my dad or he was the one to answer the phone, like it would be like, you know, my mom would just jump on the line. So I feel like after my parents divorced, one of the benefits was to get to know my dad and just have like a personal relationship with him outside of my mom and still have that relationship with my mom, of course, but we didn't get that before. Yeah. So there's a lot of benefits to the to the parents divorcing if it can be done in a healthy way. I remember like my mom just, she became like this, I don't know, she blossomed. Like she became independent and strong and fun and like took us on road trips and didn't need anyone yes. around the house to fix things. And I remember feeling so empowered by that, that when it was my turn to get divorced, I'm like, oh, but my mom was like the best example, you know, and I, if she could do it, I could do it. My mom was an immigrant with much less family around very few resources. And like, I'm like, if she did the way she did things, I'm going to be okay. And so I loved seeing that strong side of my mom. I think that was really important for me to see. Um, but anyway, let's go to the other side. So you separate things are terrible, high conflicts, can't stop fighting. You're constantly feeding into each other's bullshit. What does that mean? I mean, we, we said that we, we said earlier, like the kids will be okay if we teach them to be resilient. Mm -hmm. I actually want to clarify that the way that you teach the kids to be resilient to these issues and to all of this conflict is for the parents to do the work. <laughs> um, the kids are not able to do this work. Like we have them in the therapies, of course, but it's to cope with the circumstances. A lot of times they are not organically manifesting these issues and problems. The children, they're responding to the environment that they're living in. So we're not teaching the kids to be resilient and get through this divorce. What we're doing, if, if the kids are going to have a good outcome is the parents are doing the work to work on that co-parenting relationship, to be able to cooperate with each other and communicate effectively. Mm -hmm. And then that that good work trickles down to the children. You'll see some of the issues that children were um, manifesting before start to alleviate, start to ease up and go away because the parents are working together finally. So yeah. they are the, they're the first and foremost, like that's what needs to be done after the divorce to gain that equilibrium is the work, a therapeutic work that each parent has to do, I guess, in their own therapy. But if they have to go to co-parenting therapy, um, any other type of services, family therapy, so that their kids have a space to discuss their feelings with them, all of that is necessary. I, I believe in a post separation or divorce process in order for everybody to turn out. Okay. I could not agree more. And when you don't, I know, you know, we talk a lot about adverse childhood experiences and ACEs and that sort of like re-traumatization constantly of a, a toxic family dynamic for the kids. What are they looking at psychologically long-term into adulthood from that? So what we know about adverse childhood experiences is the more of them that you have, the more risk you have as an adult for a host of issues such as physical health problems and mental health issues, um, substance abuse, domestic violence, et cetera. The more of those adverse experiences, the more risk you have going into your adulthood. What we see if we cannot get back on track is that these children are growing up in what's called an ineffective family environment uh, that can either be an abusive household or maybe just emotionally neglectful. But what that actually does for kids, it's kind of scary, is it predisposes them to abuse. So as an example, if you're growing up in a household where the parents are fighting all the time and maybe one parent is very uh, verbally abusive towards the other parent, 
And the child also doesn't grow up in an environment where they're told that they're worth anything or valuable and, you know, worthy of love, then they are going into their adult relationships, extremely vulnerable to abuse and predator, predatory people out there that do like look and seek out individuals with this vulnerability in their personality and their family of origin history so they can abuse them. Like this is the perfect right person to be with a narcissist someday. Right. You know, so I would say that if we can't regain the equilibrium, we're just, we're, we're in, we're injecting a host of vulnerabilities in our children. They're not going to be successful as adults and they're not going to have the blueprint for how to be in a relationship, a healthy relationship. Wow. That's, that is, I mean, sounds very familiar. It's very close to home and, and it's true. I mean, you're, I don't, I forget who said this to me recently, but like your children are only children for such a short period of their lives and their experience with you. And do you want to have to spend the entirety of their adulthood watching them clean up the messes of your mistakes. And and the answer to that, of course, is no, but you have to be able to take a step back and think of things long-term to be able to see it that way. I mean, we just, we've, there's a real thing behind mommy issues and daddy issues, you know? Um, I know oh, it's yeah. like <laughs> a casual term that's just thrown around and like, and honestly sounds like an indictment on the, on the victim instead of the, the person who causes those issues in the first place. But truly like our family of origin is, so impactful to who we are as adults. I'm sure that you, you've been through a divorce and I'm sure you've visited and tried to, you know, um, be introspective about the role that your parents' divorce played. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In your divorce, uh-huh. you know, hundred it was just modeling, modeling all of that modeling that you, uh, were exposed to in childhood. I really think what I did was try and replicate what I saw in my first yeah. marriage. And like, I just subconsciously, my reaction was to just push my ex-husband away because he might hurt me. And and I, for lack of a better word, ruined w- what our dynamic was. And that was because I never dealt with and was not given the tools to deal with what I experienced as a child. And all the more reason, if you're listening to this and you are going to get divorced or you're considering it not to be scared, your children are not automatically ruined, but to be prepared to support your children when they have feelings about this type of stuff. Cause it's that, it's that idea of sweeping things under the rug where everything comes back to bite you in the ass for sure. Yeah. I think kids, because they can't articulate often what they understand about a situation, we just assume that they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And they internalize and soak up so much of what's happening, even if they can't explain to you, like, this is what I understand about what's going on right now. They Mm -hmm. will be able to say that later, but through before they can uh, develop that ability to articulate those things, they've just soaked up all of that information and knowledge, uh, everything that they've watched, everything that they've seen, you know? So one of the things that I try to do is, uh, is just hug my spouse in front of my kids. That's the only, yeah. you know, even if, even if I'm not, I'm not saying that like we do it at, to be fake or whatever, but I do, I try to just show a physical affection and compliments and things like that around my spouse to my kids because they're watching. Like just yesterday I came home, gave my husband the hug that I got home from work and looked down at my son who was standing nearby and he's like smiling because we were hugging. Aww, he's only that. two years old. So I just think it's really important. Please, please understand your kids are going to feel disrupted by a separation or divorce. It's a huge, 
experience. It doesn't have to be an adverse childhood experience though. It doesn't, it can be. Wow. So beautifully put. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap. Um, What would you suggest if you had one piece of advice for any mom considering starting the divorce process? I would say, honestly, I know I'm biased towards therapy because I'm a therapist and a psychologist, but I really recommend therapy, not necessarily couples counseling. Let's say you were just in the pre-contemplation phase of, do I do this or not? Do I pull this trigger or not? Go to therapy and try to explore some of the family of origin stuff that's going on because this is all bubbling up for you uh, right now. And even if you can't get your your spouse into couples counseling or even co-parenting counseling, you know that individual therapy for you is going to help you because, like I said, even if we can't get the other individual to participate in and be in a cooperative co-parenting relationship, it just takes that one solid, stable, loving adult that's doing it. Well, it doesn't just take that, but it helps. It <laughs> so helps much. big time. It does. Yeah. It does. Well, thank you for everybody listening. Thank you for being here. If you have more questions on how to help your children through the divorce process, you know where to find us. www.michelledempsey.com, info at momsmovingon.com. And we'll see you next time on Moms Moving On. Thank you. So you want to be a divorce coach, but the term divorce coach is a broad one because there is just so much you can cover in the world of moving on. Maybe you find yourself gravitating towards clients with high conflict co-parents, or perhaps you have a knack for helping women pull themselves out of bed when they feel overwhelmed with single mom responsibilities. No matter your ideal client, the one thread that will unite them all is that they're moms and moms need a different level of support when it comes to divorce coaching. With my moving on method, you'll not only learn how to best support a client through their divorce, you'll also learn how to help support them as they transition into their new role as co-parents and managing a coaching business. I'm Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, Certified Divorce and Co-Parenting Specialist, and I founded the Moving On Method after years of working with clients from all over the world and seeing them all struggle with the same issues. In this training, you'll learn my five principles for helping a client with their moving on process, along with how to make your practice successful. Visit momsmovingon.com today to apply for my program. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.